you kick down walls and anyone who tells you you can't you take your fears your insecurities your worries you roll them all up into a ball you turn those some bitches sideways and stick them straight up that candy out pick your goal and stick fucking to it you wishy-washy motherfuckers i can't fucking stand you I wanted to make sure that out of the 24 hours of the day, that I don't waste one single hour. Those hours were too precious. And so there I just want to tell people, don't give me this thing, I have a difficult time, I need the time, and I don't have time for this, and I don't have that. You have time. You make the time. And now, welcome to the Be Informed Live Fit Podcast, sponsored by fitnessinformant.com. And he kill it while you sitting down Bitch about how I triple my fan base Man, worth bench Can't say What's going on, you welcome Inside episode 31 Of the Be Informed Live Fit Podcast I am your host, Fitness Informant Founder, CEO, Ryan Buckeye This has been a lot of fun For the last year, I've had an opportunity And a platform to speak my mind on topics All things fitness, nutrition, health, etc In the last couple weeks, uh, we talked uh, things that were on my mind in terms of uh, multi-level marketing companies. And then in last last week's episode, talked my big pet peeves or gym etiquette 101. We bring back a guest this week, and it's a guest that you re- might remember if you've been following this podcast for a while. We had a debate, uh, BCAAs versus EAAs. We had Ian Bell, who at the time represented Real Twin Labs, and we had Kenton Engel, who represented Core Nutritionals. And basically, Kenton took the stance that BCAAs are just as good as EAAs and explained his stance. And and uh, Ian, at that point, uh, uh, presented his argument for real or EAAs. Now, let me say this. I, I really, I, I do like Ian. Ian and I are friends, um, but he came to a gunfight with knives, and Kenton came to that fight with grenades and, and uh, grenade launchers. So it was, uh, it was a one-sided argument, pretty much. Kenton uh, took that argument and, and took it and made it his, made him uh, a little bit more, I'm not sure if you want to say marketable, but uh, it opened the eyes to a lot of different people within this industry and outside this industry to who Kenton Engel is. And for me, I've been friends with Kenton for a while now, and I respect him immensely. And as you'll tell from the first 15 minutes or so of our conversation, the dude's a genius. He's very intelligent. He speaks and a, a different tongue than most of us are used to. So if you're listening to the first 15 minutes of that conversation and you're scratching your head wondering what in the fuck Kenton is talking about, trust me, man, I was on the other side of that of the screen thinking the same thing. Uh, and I can comprehend a lot of what he says, but I wanted to have Kenton on because Kenton is responsible, along with Doug Miller and team over at Core Nutritionals, for several different brands. There's Core Nutritionals, there's America Labs, America Energy, and there's a uh, uh, there's Nutrition Corners, which is actually a retail outlet that he handles marketing for. And now he's co-owner of Arms Race Nutrition, which is a new brand coming out here in June. And the topic of conversation today really is innovation within sports nutrition. And how do you innovate? How do you approach innovation? How do you innovate based on the restrictions placed on you by the federal or the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA? Guidelines, Zashea, there's many different acts. Um, there's the, 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 the Cosmetic Act that we touch on as well. And really kind of not necessarily debunking what people say because I hear people say all the time, like, I can't innovate because the government has me strangled. They're, they're taking away all my ingredients. I only have a certain pool of ingredients to select from with grass data. Mm, I don't believe that's true. And I actually talk about that with, with Kenton here on the podcast. And uh, we talked about innovation based on branding and experience and delivery mechanisms. And there's different ways to approach what we know as innovation. Innovation is not always formula-driven, especially in a space where formulas are very important to to us, the people probably listening to this podcast. 
But to the person going to Costco or Walmart or Target or buying their stuff on Amazon, they probably don't give a fuck about formulas. And it's unfortunate, and that's why FI exists, is because we are trying to get those formulas to be formula-first driven purchases, making sure that you're purchasing a product based on a formula that fits your needs. Make sure that it's matching the pathways in which you are trying to enhance your overall performance when you're in the gym, if that's a pre-workout, for instance. So good conversation with Kat and a longer conversation. I don't want to keep my opening too long here, uh, but I am pumped up about a few things this week. So this week's pumped up segment of the week is being brought to you by Build Fast Formula's number one rated pre-workout for pumps. Full Blitz. If you haven't checked out Full Blitz yet, there are still free samples over on the website at fitnessinformer.com, but Full Blitz incorporates our number one rated pump product, Vasal Blitz, but adds in caffeine, adds in Yohimbine, adds in uh, cognitive enhancing boosters that just makes for an overall well-rounded workout experience from one of the best pre-workouts on the market today. Right now at buildfastformula.com, you can buy 24 servings of Full Blitz, plus get free seven servings of Vasal Blitz for a total of 31 days of pumps for $39 and 99 cents. Use promo code informant and save 15% off. What am I pumped up about this week? What am I not pumped up about this week, right? I'm always pumped up. I'm pumped up because we recently just came out with a new list for the strongest pre-workout supplements on the market. And our number one rated strongest pre-workout supplement on the market right now is Hypermax Extreme from Performax Labs. And when I say strongest pre-workout, I'm saying strongest pre-workout that's also safe. We're not going to go ahead and place a pre-workout that has 600 milligrams of caffeine and a bunch of other bullshit in it. This is a safe, effective, strong pre-workout uh, that it hits hard, uh, that also has good focus, but they're adding a new flavor. Rocket Bomb is coming to Hypermax Extreme here this Memorial Day weekend, joining your raspberry lemonade and your orange mango. We actually reviewed the orange mango over at FI. Uh, Performax Labs Hypermax Extreme actually has the same overall score as our Full Blitz. Full Blitz is the number one rated for pumps. Great, great pump producing pre-workout. Hypermax Extremes has got more stims and more caffeine in it, making it a different pre-workout experience. But a new flavor coming this Memorial Day that I'm pumped up about because I'm going to get myself a beta sample before anybody else gets their hands on it. I'm going to be able to let you all know what I think of it and uh, that it'll be available for purchase then Memorial Day weekend. I can't say enough about Performax Labs overall. I think that the brand, and I've been saying this for a long time, is one of the most underrated brands within sports nutrition. It's because they don't have a massive marketing budget. They don't have sexy labels. They don't have anything other than effective products, which should, in the scheme of things, should pretty much be all that you need, but that's not always the case. So that is what I'm pumped up about this week, and I'm always pumped up about something. Just ask me, DM me on Facebook, um, and make sure you know uh, I'm there. I'll respond to everything, so just make sure you know what's up. The Genius Moment of the Week this week is being brought to you by The Genius Brand. The Genius Brand offers high-quality supplements with scientifically proven, clinically dosed, all-natural ingredients. With a blatant disregard for profit margins, The Genius Brand focuses on delivering innovative, industry-leading wellness supplements to help you live a healthy, active, long-lasting life. Supplement Smart today. Check out full reviews and brand news over at our official website, fitnessinformant.com. Genius Moment of the Week. This is going to be post-workout nutrition. There's been a question asked in our self-made barbell brigade several times about people consuming sugary cereal, candy, etc. around your workout window. Now, if you're one of the people out there that believe in this figment of your imagination called an anabolic window, that's cool. But know this. If you're going to eat fast-acting carbs and you need to restore glycogen levels quickly or you want to spike levels in your system, 
You want to do it around your workout window. Now, if you do it pre-workout, say you're taking gummy bears or pixie sticks or Sour Patch Kids, if you eat that pre-workout, that's going to help in layman's terms. We won't get too deep into the science, but it's going to help with your overall pump. Those fast-acting carbohydrates help give you the energy you need during your workout, also help push in nutrient-rich blood into your muscles, providing a bigger pump. That's why when you have carbs in your system, if you say you're a bodybuilding athlete and you, and you, need, the, and you need to uh, you know, get ready for stage presence that night, typically after they do the morning show, they'll go have like a high-carb meal. They'll have like a bunch of pancakes because the high carbs that you get uh, really make you look full. And they really, they really blow you out in a good way. They make you massive. So that's the purpose of pre-workout carbs in the form of, say, gummy bears or Sour Patch Kids. Now, post-workout carbs, your body needs to replenish those glycogen stores that you had just depleted in the, in the gym. So that's why many people will take carbohydrates, even intra if it's a powder. But if it's post-workout and you want to have sugary, sugary cereal or you want to have sugar candy, having that post-workout is not necessarily a bad thing. In some cases, it's actually a really good thing, depending on how intense the workout is and, and, and what, you, what you did that day. I myself will consume sometimes like a cinnamon toast crunch post-workout. Or if I'm going to, uh, I want to get pumped that day, say I'm doing a push, I'll go ahead and eat a handful of Skittles. Just know that that's okay. So if you want that, say you have a sweet tooth and you're into that thing, the genius moment of the week is consume it around your workout, whether it be before or after, but don't necessarily, like I'm not a big advocate of consuming a bag of Skittles while you sit on the couch at night and you Netflix and chill if you're not working out. Well, if you're, if you're going to include the chill part, maybe, maybe, maybe you will. But just know that that's the, that's the concept, uh, the idea behind these fast-acting carbohydrates or simple sugars that your body can digest quickly and put to use is if you digest them quickly and put them to use, Put them to use, right? Either work out or just get done working out because your system needs that stuff. Loving, uh, loving the track here. If you love what you've been hearing here on the podcast, we appreciate your support. Subscribe to us on all social media platforms if you're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. But more importantly here, since you're listening to the podcast, we're on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and more. Hit that subscribe button and hit that review button. Write us a review. It helps up the algorithm so more people can, can uh, find the Be Informed Live Fit podcast so more people can discover Raise Energy, the official energy drink of Fitness Informant. If you have not had a Raise Energy yet, you need to. You need to get that done. Uh, make sure you check out fitnessinformer.com for the full review on Raise Energy, a breakdown of our flavors. And uh, rumor has it more stuff is coming out from the brand here this summer, so make sure you stay tuned for that. I'm going to shut up, get out of the way, bring in Ken Angle, CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, Core Nutritionals, Miracle Labs, America Energy, Nutrition Corners, and co-founder of the newest supplement brand within this space. It is Arms Race Nutrition. The BAR Breakfast at the Ready is finally here. The world's first protein bar made with real cereal pieces from some of your favorite cereals and the best cereals of all time. This bar has 20 grams of protein, only 20 grams of carbohydrates with five of them coming from sugar and four grams of fat, 190 delicious calories that you can fit in at any time. Any person can take this bar, man, woman, child, whether you're working out, you're training to build muscle, or you just need a healthy snack throughout the day, the BAR is your solution. Go to redcon1.com and order the BAR breakfast at the ready right now. <laughs> With the amount of hard work that I put in, I need a reputable brand. I absolutely love this stuff. The energy is amazing. The pumps are ridiculous. The flavor is absolutely delicious. I was blown away by the amount of energy, the muscle pump. It keeps me going throughout the day. Take your workouts. 
to the next level. The energy was so crazy for me. Really gives me the boost I'm needing in the morning. You will train harder, you will see better pumps, you will go longer in the gym. The quality of the ingredients makes a difference. Try Rise, you're gonna love it, I guarantee it. Their products are top of the range and I'm very proud to be a part of Team Rice. For the last two decades, we have been the best kept secret of the supplement industry. We've kept our heads down and worked. We pioneered full label transparency and full therapeutic doses because we believe that truly hard work requires truly effective tools. Two decades is a long time to commit to one pursuit, but when you act with purpose and become centered in yourself, eventually you realize that you were born and bred for this. The things you once thought impossible, you now do every day. We don't like the easy way, just doesn't feel right. We'll take the long, hard road over a shortcut any day. It takes longer, sure, but in the end, you know you earned it. And with the right team behind you, pushing yourself further than you've ever been will be just another afternoon doing what you love most. most of my life chasing what's termed as unattainable. An obstacle in my path, I torment it. Any limitation trying to control my environment, I tame it. Any excuses, I transform into commitments. The haters, they're too small for me to even see. For 28 months before Cage Muscle even released, I broke myself against the world to identify, track, test, and trial the ultimate resources available in human existence to bring you something the world has never seen. Change is upon us. Don't justify your complacency. Evolve with me. Part animal, part machine. I'm Chris Gethin, and I am Cage Muscle. What's going on, guys? Welcome back inside the Be Informed Live Fit podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, that beautiful bald head across the screen from me, you might recognize him as the debate heard around the world as we had him on earlier when we started the podcast and uh, debated Mr. Ian Bell from, at the time, Real, and we talked the BCAA-EAA debate. That thing went viral. You're like a godsend in the industry now, Kenton. Uh, but this is Kenton Engel. He is the chief marketing officer for Core Nutritionals, America Labs, America Energy, Nutrition Corners, and he's also the co-founder of a new brand that's going to be coming out here shortly called Arms Race Nutrition, which I'm fucking stoked about. I think it's going to be really cool stuff. Uh, what's going on, dude? What's up, brother? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. I'm excited because – so I've been touting your name around the industry a little bit in the last several weeks, months, and I just want to say – I want to tell a quick story on how we eventually – like how we met. So when I first started Fitness Informant, I actually reached out to Core. It was Patrick and you to work together on, on the brands, and you guys told me no, and – that's great. So I spent the next two years proving you guys that I could do some stuff. And now, fast forward two years later, I consider you one of my best friends in this space that is fucking weird 
to begin yeah. with. Uh, you yeah. know, hard to trust people. And uh, you're also one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. And uh, definitely just want to give you credit right away as we start this podcast to set the tone because today's podcast really is going to be more or less about not necessarily the formulation side of sports nutrition, but just the business side of, of sports nutrition and differentiation compared to the competitive set that's on the market. Because Kent and I hear people say it all the time. This industry lacks innovation. And it's one of those redundant phrases that people put on social media because there's the copycat formulas. There's your contract manufacturers who just push out similar formulas. So before we dive into that, what is your definition of innovation? Yeah. So first, I want to point out something about our relationship because I think it corresponds to my relationship with the other founders of Arms Race Nutrition, Doug Miller, who is the CEO and president and owner of the brands that you mentioned, and Julian Smith former Optimum Nutrition and Bodybuilding.com athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, when I said no to you, it was a, a measured and objective response based on the probability of return. Right. It wasn't rude. It wasn't short, I don't think. And the instant that you came back with metrics that deserved an investment, it mm-hmm. was a no-brainer. Sure. I think it shows the worth of being polite and direct with people in an right. industry as small as this. Mm-hmm. If you're a, a fucking dickhead, it gets around very quickly, you know, yeah. very quickly. So I just want to note that because the the genesis or origin story for Arms Race Nutrition is incredibly similar. Julian is a lifetime natural bodybuilder. He reached out to Doug around 2008, 2009 to ask him about products that I had helped formulate at USP Labs, the company for which I was the vice president and Doug was a natural athlete. Rather than dismissing Julian, Doug sent him free products from his own brand core, sent him an extensive email. That was when Julian had five to 10,000 followers. This was before Instagram, I think it even started or certainly had exploded. Fast forward 10 years and Julian, who has a sizable influence in the industry based on his accumulated followers of about 1.5 million, decides to pair up with Doug and I on a brand based fairly explicitly on Doug's response to him. Yeah. So that's 10 years later, we're a non-burned bridge, we're mm-hmm. forming a decent connection with someone, we're acting like a normal human being instead of a fucking dickhead, pays off in substantial ways. I think our relationship is reflective of that tendency yeah. too. So I just want to sort of put that to the side. Um, answering the question about what constitutes innovation for me, uh, I'm going to answer this question, but let me natter on for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> because I think, I think that, um, I think that the ways in which this question has been answered in our incipient discursive or epistemic spaces within our industry is both a function or expression of how I would identify a lack of innovation Mm -hmm. and also in some ways contributed to it. So one of the ways in which I think our industry lacks innovation is that other than your podcast, you and Josh's new podcast from Jay Shaw Consulting, uh, Tim from Natural Body on the Flyby, we lack discursive spaces that produce what in philosophy is called an organon. An organon is uh, a shared set of epistemic rules or principles by which you effectively differentiate the wheat from the chaff. So how do you, what are the shared set of sense-making mechanisms or apparatuses that differentiate good ideas from bad ideas? Mm -hmm. We lack those organons because we lack the discursive spaces in which those organons are produced. So we don't have an intellectual space where industry leaders on a collective basis decide on shared principles that we can all use collectively to say, this is a good idea or that's a bad idea. Yeah. Um, So that figures, I think, to me prominently in the uh, lack of innovation and that is in in and of itself as a lack of innovation. 
what in terms of what I think is innovation, I'm there was a guy uh, writing around the same time uh, as a famous economist, John Maynard Keynes, named Joseph Schumpeter. So I sort of follow Schumpterian innovation economics, and in that context, innovation is defined as. Uh, sort of a destructive production, something yeah. that destroys a shibboleth in a given industry to produce or disrupt with a new form of technology, a new form of innovation. I think that in that material, more salient formula-based context, our industry lacks innovation. But here's the thing, the way the explanations for that are typically bifurcated in two ways based on the social media conversations attendant to your guys's nascent discursive spaces. The first sort of explanation um, focuses exclusively on macroeconomic factors, principally the uh, compliance and regulatory environment created mm -hmm. in the domestic market in the States, right? And then Josh is doing some interesting, more strictly sales and business uh, analysis work on various companies' capital accumulation, investment rates, their portfolios, right. and such. The other sort of explanation focuses on the essential psychological tendencies or attributes of individual economic agents and to the extent to which it interfaces with the first sort of macroeconomic explanation. It's exclusively relegated to the way the, those macroeconomic headwinds interpolate with people's fundamental psychological tendencies. So in a way less pretentious fucking verbose explanation, people will say, um, <laughs> we don't, our industry doesn't innovate because it's filled with a bunch of lazy assholes and people just want to make a quick buck. I see that a lot. I saw that a lot in response to one of John's articles on innovation. I think both of these explanations that are direct products of the incipients of our discursive spaces contribute something meaningful to the debate, but there's two problems with them. The first, for me, they share a fatal flaw of presentism. Neither of them are intellectually curious about the material socio-historical factors that conspired to produce the regulatory state that conspired to produce the administrative bureaucracy that is the FDA, that conspired to produce these macroeconomic headwinds. Um, and therefore, they don't conserve for me the intuitions that I think are more determinative for our industry. Sure. Like, it's impossible for me to assess the state of innovation in the dietary supplement industry absent or abstracted away from the 50-year history of the violent collision between the modern administrative or bureaucratic state and private enterprise, and specifically the ways in which private enterprise has in a strategic, very directed manner, mm -hmm. manipulated that administrative state to essentially foist the entire cost of negative externalities onto those in furthest proximity from them. Yeah. So consumers, workers, and small producers, right? Like our space, the dietary supplement industry could be construed collectively as a small worker in reference to the much larger pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. And our lack of innovation, I think, is a direct byproduct of the way in which the pharmaceutical industry has conspired with the contemporary administrative state to put us in this fucking regulatory purgatory, right? It's, it's very hard to innovate in this industry as a direct consequence of that. Like. Think of it this way. There's a couple factors I think that that when I say that the, um, the administrative state and private industry have conspired to foist these negative externalities, these are, I think, the negative externalities that are created by the gross symbiotic relationship between the pharmaceutical industry, which I should briefly mention has by both a number of registered agents and total money spent, the largest lobby in Washington, and has the highest profit margins right. by far. A good Not profit close. margin. 
right? Like a good profit margin for us is like 40 points. Yeah. A, a good profit margin for them is like 700 points, a yeah. thousand, right? So the, I think those negative externalities are, are these. The first is that the body is a biological system of nearly infinite complexity. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to develop compounds that are reliable from both an efficacy and safety standpoint. Yeah. I think of it like you said, I'm a fucking nerd. So I think of it in the context of technology. You have an Android. I know you have an Android because that hideous fucking green bubble pops <laughs> up every, yeah. every time you text me. Um, you've probably noticed that innovation in the OEM phone space is bifurcated along these lines. The hardware and firmware or software innovation occurs almost exclusively on the Android mm-hmm. side. The software or app innovation occurs almost exclusively on the Apple side. If a popular app is going to be released, unless it's um, comically well capitalized, it's going to be released on the iOS first as a test ground, only after proving test of concept, generating a significant amount of revenue, will it be ported, if at all, over to Android after some time? Correct. Well, Well, why? Because Android as an operating system's fractiousness produces a functionally unending degree of variation between OEM hardware manufacturers. You have different kinds of RAM, different displays, different systems on a chip, different modems. Right. Um, That to me is the human body. Yes. We can predict with fair accuracy once we aggregate enough humans together how a compound will affect the human biological system. But on an inter or intra-system basis, so individual humans, it's very difficult to predict. So predicting it properly takes a massive, significant amount of investment. Sure. Pharmaceutical companies have the capital to do that sort of investment. But that's only one factor of it. And this is where the the negative externality emerges. It's not only that typically, uh, especially within our more narrow sports nutrition niche of the dietary supplement industry, we're not sufficiently well capitalized to fund robust trials. There are several, like in our new product harness, we have iNitrox, which has a randomized placebo-controlled double-blind trial on it. Um, some individual companies, remember Muscle Tech back in the day used to fund studies, mm-hmm. um, market Skyvation funded some studies, et cetera. But that's, that's only one part of it, right? It's not just that we're not sufficiently well capitalized. The other part of it is that this manipulative symbiotic relationship between the pharmaceutical industry and um, the compliance and regulatory apparatus, namely the FDA, especially in the United States, creates a substantially higher, almost guaranteed rate of return on the development of pharmaceutical products and a comparatively smaller potential rate of return on dietary supplements. So in your guys' country, the pharmaceutical uh, pharmaceutical industry has successfully, I mean, and shockingly um, codified into law that your guys' government health care initiatives, Medicare and Medicaid, cannot collectively negotiate mm-hmm. with the pharmaceutical industries on drug prices. Also codified is that the uh, pharmaceutical industry can effectively and uh, effectively arbitrarily determine prices. So their cost to price relationship is totally arbitrary. They can set prices however they want. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're a hedge fund manager responsible for managing $2 billion of equity. And you have two choices. You can invest in a $10 million trial 
that has several components. It's placebo-controlled, randomized, double-blind, and it's trying to assess the impact of uh, Berberus aristata extract, 97% berberine HCL, on uh, postprandial glucose levels as a potential therapeutic uh, target for non-insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus. And there's no guarantee of return, and yeah. you can't arbitrarily set prices. You're subject to market forces, um, and you're looked at as a redheaded stepchild by the entire world. You're uh, looked at as almost a manifestation of quackery in comparison to the pharmaceutical industry's ostensible legitimacy. Or you can invest 10, 100 times more in phase three clinical trials or three phase clinical trials at the FDA, but your guaranteed rate of return is thousands of times higher. Yeah. Thousands of times higher. Where would you invest your money? Exactly. I mean, it's, it's no brainer. Exactly. It's a no fucking brainer. So you would invest it in the pharmaceutical industry. And that, I think, exerts a downward pressure on the level of capitalization in our industry, which then exerts a downward pressure on the level of independent third-party research funded by our industry, mm -hmm. which then exerts a downward pressure on the extent to which marketers like me can look at that third-party independent research or interface or congress with ingredient manufacturers and find new and innovative solutions. Right. And unfortunately, because we don't have, like I said, the discursive spaces to disseminate that sort of information, the end consumer has bizarre expectations about what should be included in a pre-workout product. Yeah. And I think, I think part of that too is every, I, not, I don't want to say every pre-workout product, but a lot of pre-work products look exactly the same. So a consumer buys maybe a different brand, but the same ingredients are used. So they're just, their expectation is like every, every pre-workout needs beta alanine. Every pre-workout needs citrulline. Every pre-workout needs 300 plus milligrams of caffeine. But I think in our space too, I think it's important for us to separate the pillars of innovation. Because when we say innovation, right away, I think a lot of people's minds goes to formula. And that's a big component of it, right? But to the average consumer, 95% of supplement consumers, dietary supplement consumers, they don't give a fuck about the formula or they don't understand the formula. So we can, yeah. spend, our, we can spend a lot of money right. on branded ingredients with that clinical research that you guys use in your products, which I love and appreciate, but uh, uh, somebody at Walmart doesn't give a shit. But you also have an opportunity to innovate on packaging and branding, on your messaging, mm -hmm. on your delivery system, on the overall brand experience. So I think when I hear people say this industry lacks innovation – there's a much bigger picture for it. Like we can do it. Like I, I always look at Dan at Ghost, and they innovated differently based on the brand experience. They don't necessarily have a have, have it down a hundred percent, but they have it down better than ninety nine point nine percent of all the other brands. It seems like out there, because it's cool. It's not really a supplement company. It's a it's a lifestyle company. And what I think is interesting about you is you've had the opportunity to market and be on top of you know formulate brand. All these different companies that you're at, you have Core, you have Miracle Labs, Energy, and you have Arms Race Nutrition. Each have their own component of innovation. Some have multiple facets. So I would yeah. say Core maybe lacks innovation on the branding side because it's not super sexy. I, don't, I think people out there would agree, but the formulas are fucking amazing. Formulas mm -hmm. are great. Then you look at Miracle Labs, Miracle Energy. Branding is amazing. Like that is a brand driven brand. I mean, and, and the yeah. drinks are great. The formulas are good. I would say the formulas probably aren't like as good as your core line, but that's not the point. Then yeah. you have Arms Race Nutrition, that formulas are great. And it's a different variation of innovation as you are partnering with an influencer to get that product out in the, in the eyes of people. So for you, when you do this, where do you, what is your preference? Like, what do you enjoy most in terms of your pillar of innovation? Do you like the formula side? Do you like the branding side? Or what, what, is, what is your preference? Yeah, so I think that this, this is one of 
in our nascent um, marketplace of ideas, I think that that is a relevant counter, that focusing exclusively on the formulation component of it, um, especially the social history of how the administrative state has altered over 50 years to conspire to produce this just nexus of clusterfuck and negative externalities is narrow-minded. I, I guess what I would say, though, is that it's impossible for me to disaggregate the way that our current marketplace conserves both the worst aspect of the free market and the worst aspect of the compliance and regulatory schema from potential innovation in the branding space because even even potential branding is restrained by that confluence, sure. right? So our industry is regulated by uh, multiple different laws, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, with which covers what constitutes a dietary supplement or a dietary ingredient, the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, which collectively regulates what is constituted by um, a dietary supplement, some of our requirements, but it also regulates the things that we can say. So mm -hmm. no other industry is similarly constrained. And so when I say that our industry conserves both the, uh, conserves, sorry, the worst aspects of both the free market and the regulatory schema, that's precisely what I mean. So there are no meaningful consumer protections. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to the, your question. Sorry, I'm still fucking rambling. But um, there are no meaningful consumer protections in our industry because the FDA has no robust or systematic pre-market protection mechanism for consumers. Mm -hmm. If even like in the most Anne Randian uh, libertarian person would recognize that if the government has one function, it's to control externalities that are beyond the purview of any single economic agent. The negative effects of an industry are one of them. The FDA uh, has no systematic, systematic mechanism to control that. Right. But because it is typified by the same regulatory overreach or zeal um, that, uh, that you find common to the administrative state, it still tries to offer that consumer protection, but only through post-market ad hoc yes. criminal punitive mechanisms. So you get people like Aaron Singerman and PJ Braun who are nailed on the cross for an entire industry since. Um, but then because they constrain us with what we can say in terms of the, they're called the structure function claims. We're not allowed to make health claims. A health claim is a, like the, that small yeah. um, statement, not, not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, mitigate any disease. So we're allowed to make structure function claims. So we're not even allowed the best part of the free market, which we could just put whatever we want in products within reason, and the marketplace can decide both both from a branding, marketing, packaging context, as well as a formula context, what it likes and dislikes. So I, I only ramble on to say that even in that more limited context of innovation in the branding, brand identity, sales channel side, we're constrained. And we're constrained by this absurd confluence of both the free market and regulatory schema's worst tendencies. For that point, though, it is one that I've conceded before. I think Josh, that's principally what Josh focused on in his article about innovation. I think he also brought up Ghost. Um, I don't really know those guys well. I've just had like cursory interactions with Dan. Mm -hmm. um, but I would agree that they are innovating on the brand experience side. I think one, one thing that our industry lacked, probably because it's not mature from just the standpoint of a historical trajectory, is delivering an experience when you purchase a product. Right. You know, um, I, don't, I don't mean to be so hackneyed and cliched by bringing up Apple, but when you open up an Apple product, is, it is an experience. Yeah, and we've and talked about this. I mean, you're absolutely yeah, right. You're not buying a product, you're right. buying an experience. 
that's, I think, something, the same sort of thing that we're trying to deliver with the America brands, except you're not necessarily buying an experience. You're, you're buying a, a sartorial expression of hyper-patriotism. So mm-hmm. people who are conservative bite into the earnest part of that conservative sure. or that hyper-patriotism, and people who are liberals get that tongue-in-cheek, so there's something for everyone. That sort of marketing where where like I can exercise my philosophy muscles and say, there, this is the specific demographic reason I'm writing this specific sort of copy on this specific sort of label. That's my favorite part of innovation. And it's yeah. my favorite part of innovation because of the ways in which the other side, the formula side is constrained by the you know macroeconomic and socio-historical factors that I identified before. Yeah. Well, I think it's great, and a lot of people probably don't know this. That America brand, I mean, you 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 took that thing as your baby, and you made it into like what it is today. Like that was a concept that you and Doug and team have come up with, but like you were responsible for essentially almost everything on that. And I just want to bring it up because I think it's super entertaining. The f- some of the first things that you guys did via social was you directly went after a competitor in the space yeah. with videos. And yeah. I mean, we can we, I talk about Bang all the time, but Bang is the giant. Bang is one of the fastest growing energy drinks in the world. Good for Jack. Good for that company. Whatever. But you took a you did something that not everybody does. I mean, you you took a shot at another brand in the space. Where'd yeah. that come from? How comfortable was the team with doing that? And yeah. based on the metrics of that in terms of engagement, how successful was that? Yeah. So for I mean, the first thing I'll say is that I think Doug is in his own right an underrated marketer. So uh, a lot of the conceptual basis was Doug and I collaborating together, um, and he's one of the more involved but non micromanaging CEOs I've had an opportunity to work with. So. Um, nothing that I do is on my own. I appreciate you saying that, but it it is definitely a a collaborative effort. So how did it perform? Uh, What was the strategy behind doing it? The strategy behind doing it, hopefully I don't say anything that's going to open me up for like a libel here. Um, (laughs) but the, the strategy for doing it was that I think our industry is, uh, tends towards comically self-serious marketing. Yeah. Everything is fucking hardcore, get your dick hard and fucking run through a wall. And I'm like, dude, you're fucking selling boner pills. Relax. Like the copy is just extravagant. (laughs) So fucking self-indulgent. All the marketing is self-indulgent. This is not to denigrate our product because I love American Energy. It's great. Yeah. Best tasting. But it's a carbonated flavored water. Mm -hmm. So our strategy and I guess my idea behind those videos was just recognizing the fact that it's flavored water and that's okay. Yeah. Our competitors who I will not name sell you this idea that if you drink their mm-hmm. fizzy water, your dick is going to get three inches bigger. You're going to prevent mental retardation. A model is going to walk in, in a monokini from like a, a portal, like in Avengers Endgame, like Dr. Strange is behind there, like <laughs> wheeling his portal and she's going to walk into your room if you drink it. And so the strategy was to use a phrase I'll borrow from the Brits just to take the piss and not even to take the piss out of that specific competitor, but take the piss out of the self-serious marketing and infuse humor in a way that I think is incredibly common to other industries. This to me again goes to the lack of innovation, but it's not as common in our industry. Mm -hmm. So that was the strategy behind it. The response was fantastic. That launch video where we had the four members of our team dressed up as the presidents and the guy, uh, Doug dressed as 
George Washington uh, walks by someone drinking a POW energy (laughs) energy drink and then kicks him into the pool at the National Mall. That was our best performing video ever. I think total... Yeah, I think total views, we had almost 750,000 views. Mm-hmm. And that was on a minimal ad spend. So this is it. The new flavor is in production as we speak. We've been hyped about this for months and the time is finally here. So let's go check it out. In here. This is it. Galaxy Burst. This flavor has a burst of candy with a hint of tart, giving your taste buds begging for more. It's fruity and creamy, yet sweet and tangy. After months of testing and formulations, this galactic flavor is sure to take over the galaxy. Now let's give it a try. So good. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, time to go. <laughs> Sick booth. This thing is massive. Day one of Buddy Bar Expo. Let's go. Who, me? Now? The busiest expo day we've ever had. Dad, these guys don't know what's coming. Other industries maybe have done something similar, but it hasn't been done in our industry. So innovation doesn't necessarily mean brand new to the world per se, but it might be new to this space. There's a lot of cool stuff happening out in cosmetics and apparel, fashion, whatever, that that now I'm hearing people starting to try to bring into our space a little bit. So into into that point, it's innovative in our space because it's new, yeah. it's disruptive, yeah. but I'll it's not it's not brand new to the world by any means. Yeah, yeah. Have you okay. seen, you know, obviously you keep a close eye on other 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 uh, industries like is there, is there something going on right now in another industry you mentioned apple doing the experience that's that's something that our industry definitely does not have today but have you seen some other things that you that you've seen brands do in other industries that you're like this could work in our space and maybe it's time to experiment with it the idea that i've had recently is why do, why does our space lack the guerrilla marketing mm-hmm. that is preponderant especially in other consumer packaged good industries like why don't you see more? Now they're just going to steal my idea. But why don't you see oh, energy really. drink? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why don't you see more energy drink companies doing blind taste tests? But why don't you see them doing blind taste tests that involve a significant element of humor in them? Why don't we see more brands doing the sort of pop-ups 
that other consumer packaged good or even even other technological service industries were doing. Like when Snap released those ridiculous glasses that inevitably failed, they still generated a significant amount of hype because they were exclusive and they were they were part of like a pop-up. Mm-hmm. Sephora does in the cosmetic space does pop-ups excellently. That form of guerrilla marketing where you are leveraging the ubiquity of social media seems to be safe for a few companies here and there, largely absent from our industry. And that's one thing that I would like to see better. No, like, are you familiar with Dr. Robert Cavalli's Six Principles of Persuasion? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I had to read it in, back, in the, in, back in the day, like 10 years ago at this point. Yeah, Jesus, I'm getting old. Probably when you were doing your MBA or undergrad. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 So nothing i think one of the strongest of the six principles of persuasion is consensus mm-hmm. easiest way to convince someone into a given plan of action is to inform them that other inform them that other people have followed this plan of action this is the pro social psychological basis for testimonials and reviews testimonials and reviews the fundamental conceit is that there's an element of solicitation in them most people think when they read a review I've been asked or solicited for a review. I know this review is probably solicited and there is an intrinsic element of distrust or skepticism. Spontaneous social media engagement is never solicited. Mm-hmm. Not, not in that direct sense. As an ad, as a marketer, I can target people as an ad yeah. and I can put in a call to action, but that's not a direct solicitation in the way that like a review is. You've bought this product, do you mind reviewing it for us? Yep. That sort of guerrilla marketing seems to me just fucking fantastic. It's doing wonders for other industries because you capture residual attentional resources in ways that you never can in a directly targeted ad. Mm -hmm. If someone sees their friend or someone else or someone like them on social media talking about some guerrilla marketing scheme that some company set up, that kind of organic engagement is worth worth its weight in gold. It's almost invaluable. So I would love to see that. I would love to see, so you you did your MBA, so you're familiar with vertical integration from a manufacturing context, yep. like NutriBio is vertical exactly. integration. Yep. I would love to see more vertical integration in a marketing context. Josh contacted me for an article that he was writing on trends that mm-hmm. um, executives, you were part of that we published together on that one, baby. Yeah, that, <laughs> that, that they expected to see. And my thing for 2019 was more coherent, vertically integrated brands. And so when I say vertically integrated in a marketing context, I'm talking about the direct coherence from label to point of sale, to branding identity, to direct promotional marketing, having it all completely coherent. We have started to see a few brands like that. Uh, Redcon, I think, is like that. Ghost is like that. I would be remiss if I didn't say that I think that the America brands in Mm -hmm. particular are like that. But given how successful it is, uh, I'm shocked that we don't see more of that. So those two things I would love to see more. More guerrilla marketing, specifically with a humorous aspect to capture uh, residual attention resources and then a sense of vertical integration in marketing. Let's go back to formula innovation for a little bit and not to dive super deep into it, but you hear a lot of times people say, well, we're only given a limited number of ingredients that are has gray, gray, or grass data um, that yeah, we yeah, can yeah. use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, at the Arnold this year, I met with two different ingredient supplier companies. They have a plethora of ingredients that they're working on, coming out with, that they currently have branded ingredients. Um, yeah. You know, I, Since then, I've done a lot of work with them for FI. There's a lot of ingredients that are out there that aren't used. Now, maybe they, they lack the data, but I also feel like maybe there's a sense of, of I guess, 
people, brands being scared to be first to market with some of these ingredients. And I know some of the formulas that you guys have coming out with Arms Race is using some ingredients that I have not seen before. And I, I think that that does take courage to do that. But I also feel like when people say, well, we, we're limited with the number of ingredients that we can select from, I almost feel like it's a cop all that times because there's a ton of ingredients out there. And there's a ton of different ways you can formulate with those ingredients. You don't need your common pre-workout that you see 70% of pre-workouts looking the exact same. When people use that and they say, like, there's just not enough ingredients that we can, that we can pick from. I mean, you're a formulator. What do, you, what do you think about that? Yeah, on the, so on the ingredient side, I would refer back to the constraints that I mentioned earlier. But I don't think that they're fully exp, um, explanatory. Um, I think you're right that there are, especially over the past three to five years, there's a profusion of branded ingredients with either grass status or comprehensive scientific evidence behind them. I think a better explanation is that our market is uh, insufficiently segmented. And what I mean by that is in more mature, like historically mature industries, something like automobiles, someone who has the budget of a Honda does not expect a Mercedes. Mm -hmm. When they roll up to buy a Civic, they don't go, are you fucking for real? There's not heated leather seats and where's my chauffeur? Like it does, doesn't come with a chauffeur. No consumers have that reasonable expectation in our industry because it's insufficiently segmented. They have precisely that expectation. I think you referenced it earlier in the conversation. Everyone expects a $19 pre. Mm -hmm. So, and some of the, so we released the formula for harness, our stimulant based pre-workout yesterday. Mm -hmm. So despite the fact that people don't know the price, they have no idea what other products are in our portfolio, and they've never tried it. They were complaining about the ingredient breakdown. <laughs> well, you don't know the price, so you have no idea what the value proposition is. Right. Um, you don't know what the other SKUs in the portfolio are, so you don't know how they're um, interoperable with the pre-workout, which is a critical component. Right. If you have two products, both of which are reasonably reasonably priced, you can buy both of them, and they're interoperable. Your total value over time is extended. And then three, they mostly weren't familiar with, um, specifically, I think, uh, by Nitrox and the Zoom XR, the extended form of caffeine. So, and I think Tim maybe has mentioned this on the flyby before. I think the, the factor with the most explanatory power is that the consumer has, and maybe I'm just, you know, shitting all over my consumer base here, but they have unrealistic expectations. The market has no tolerance. Like I designed, so you asked me as a formulator, um, I designed my dream pre and I sent it to Tim and Tim says, I love it. I would maybe like double, I think he said, I would like double this ingredient. Uh, and I love the inclusion of this ingredient, which I won't mention it by the way, but it will be in, uh, a for a reformulation that we're doing of course, flagship pre that'll drop sometime in July. Fury X flat. I won't say which ingredient it is, but it's nobody uses it. It's fantastic. But my dream formulation would literally cost $75. Yeah. Nobody, nobody is going to buy a $75 pre. There's just no market tolerance mm -hmm. for it. So I think the I think the underdeveloped segmentation of the market is probably the biggest explanatory factor there. There's a plethora of branded ingredients that we could choose from. But what a lot of people don't understand is those branded ingredients are four, five, six hundred dollars a kilogram. Mm -hmm. At four, five, four, five, six hundred dollars a kilogram, you have two choices. One, include it at a subclinical dose, which is not an option for me. Or two, you eliminate something else, yep. and and you try to thread the needle such that the ingredients that you can include at a level that the market will tolerate 
are combined in such a way that they're synergistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it's funny, I, I have the label pulled up here on my screen for arms race, nutrition, your harness, your pre-workout. And it's funny to me that people complain about it because they, they, A, they don't understand probably half the ingredients in this, in this product. <laughs> um, and, and the average consumer has no idea what these ingredients even use. I mean, if it doesn't have 400 milligrams of caffeine, they complain. So, and, and I'm not trying to take a shot at anybody, but that's really, we've become such a caffeine-dependent society. And, and your pre-workout is, I mean, if, if a brand, and I'll say it, like if a brand like DOS Labs out there can sell millions and millions and millions of dollars of a of a not even subpar pre-workout i mean that tells you that the consumer doesn't doesn't know um it, it's it's an interesting conversation that we talked about too how we have these regular so people say that the dietary supplement industry is not regulated by the fda well technically it is but it's a small budget yeah. right it's but we're supposed to be self-regulated and a lot of times things don't happen until post-fact uh, but recently, there have been letters that the FDA has been kind of like on this on this arm, like going after people. They had sent out letters on DMHA, hortanine, hygienamine, and then uh, Phenobit was one too that you guys actually included in your reformulation of your sleep product. And I love it. I think it's a great ingredient. Yeah, it's awesome. For you guys to say, not not you're not saying like you're going to go against what they're going with. But where is the how does that thought process work within brands, and specifically yours, to say, we're going to include this ingredient for now because it's not illegal. It's not technically illegal. There's just a, a letter saying, like, we don't necessarily see this as X. So how does that decision come to fruition and then the idea to push the go button on it? Yeah, so um, to answer this question, I think it's crucial to understand the ways in which regulatory agencies, at least in the United States, operate. Congress makes laws. Mm-hmm. The regulatory agencies make rules. So they make federal regulations. And Congress has, or individual citizens have, sued these regulatory agencies such that the, your guys' judicial branch can render those rules unconstitutional. Okay. The likelihood of going against the FDA, because there was something... The Supreme Court for a long time had the DuPont standard, which was a form of de- deferring to um, regulatory agencies' independency within their specific area of operation. It's being challenged now. I'm not even going to get into the jurisprudential concerns here, but I'm like a Supreme Court geek. So I, I could spend like an hour on that. But you're just a geek. You don't have to yeah. put a claim. Geek. Fucking nerd. If these people could see my room, that means <laughs> nerdgasm. Um, but at, at any rate, Despite the deterioration of deference within your guys' federal court systems, regulatory agencies, the probability of challenging uh, an agency which has wide bipartisan support like the FDA. Mm -hmm. Some of your guys' agencies like the EPAs, the support for them are strictly divided upon partisan lines. The FDA has bipartisan support. So the likelihood of challenging one of its rulings is not high. The amount of investment, we're talking in the tens of millions of dollars in a decade to successfully litigate against a rule by the FDA, with the likely conclusion that the courts will simply decide it's it's within the FDA's purview and the statutory powers uh, granted to them by Congress that they can decide X ingredient is uh, an adulterated foodstuff or it's not not a dietary ingredient. So as a dietary supplement marketer. So I'm not a manufacturer. Mm -hmm. I purchase or Doug purchases ingredients from manufacturers. Uh, We're a marketer. So as a marketer, your responsibility is to decide what is the enforcement potential 
of this particular ingredient. Mm -hmm. Some ingredients and classes of ingredients are targeted by the FDA and therefore have a high enforcement potential, specifically designer stimulants. Um, I'm old enough to remember designer steroids, like back in 2004, 2005, then designer pro-hormones. Mm -hmm. um, then Congress, once I think FDA has, once FDA's tunnel vision has focused on a class of compounds long enough, then Congress writes a specific law right? Yeah. Like the Designer Steroid Act specifically outlawed compounds A yeah. through Z. Phenibut, DMHA is not in that specific mm -hmm. class, right? There are no specific laws written by Congress prohibiting the sale of those. It's a regulatory decision by the FDA. So as a marketer, you need to decide what is the likelihood that I'm going to incur some, either in the short term or the long term, some punitive damages. And when I was referring earlier to the fact that our industry is insufficiently capitalized, that risk, I think, is something that exerts downward pressure on the level of capitalization in our industry because investors want to have some reasonably predictable uh, return probabilities. They want to know, you know, what are the externalities that are going to impact my probability of return? If you can potentially be charged with a crime, 10 years later, that's principally procedural, like interstate commerce or wire fraud, based on a regulatory decision that the FDA makes and then retroactively applies to your ostensibly criminal activities. Well-capitalized investors don't want to get involved with that, one, because of the potential lack of return, and then two, because it's negative uh, publicity. So as a small manufacturer without tens of millions of dollars for potential litigation, it's kind of a cat and mouse game where you mm -hmm. decide, is this ingredient dangerous? What is the competent and reliable scientific evidence demonstrating its safety? And then you make a decision that combines, I suppose, those two factors. And, and one thing that I want to mention is that both in, a, both in an evidence-based empirical allosteric medicine context as well as a dietary supplement context, the FDA doesn't principally make decisions based on what's safe and reliable. Sure, yeah, the sure. FDA has approved dozens of medical procedures with absolutely no reliable scientific evidence for their efficacy. Billions of dollars are spent by insurance companies paying for stents. A stent is a, like a small yeah. tube that's inserted in an artery to keep it open. No reliable scientific evidence demonstrating its efficacy for expanding life, lifespans. Uh, arthroscopic surgeries in knees and elbows. No reliable, competent scientific evidence demonstrating positive health outcomes for that specific mm -hmm. procedure. There is no evidence for chiropractic as an entire field. There is literally no evidence that chiropractic does anything as an entire ostensibly scientific discipline. They are allowed to practice it under our current regulatory schema. Insurers back it. So it's not as if in our current context, everyone but the dietary supplement industry is well-regulated and only pursuing empirically verified treatments. Mm -hmm. As I said, we just get cluster fricked because of the way that private enterprise ha in a specific industry, principally the pharmaceutical industry, has manipulated that regulatory schema. And then it's very hard as a small manufacturer to read the fucking tea leaves and decide what is the appropriate course of action when the right the principal regulatory agency issues a rule change so yeah. you go doug and i were talking about this yesterday how do you how are we supposed to interpret this what yeah. are we supposed to do about it it's good that you bring it up because if anybody actually takes the time to even read some of this uh, the the dietary the dietary supplements advisory list like it specifically says on there we're not saying these ingredients are are harmful yeah. or unsafe yeah. like it literally says that they just it yeah. says on it like we believe that these are unlawful ingredients that aren't necessarily considered dietary supplements but we don't know Precisely. if they're bad or not. So Precisely. it's 
That's it's very sure. fucked up. And, um, you know, and, and I don't know. Like I've said, the reason why some of these ingredients end up on this list is because you have some Google formulators out there. You have some idiot manufacturers who decide to put in three three X on what you probably should put. And yes, one person gets sick, something happens. Next thing you know, it, it wrecks it for the entire industry. So um, as we wrap up here, I, I, we need to talk about the brands that you represent: Core, America, and Arms Race. So. Arms Race is the big thing for you. I mean, this is your first brand that you've actually have your, I believe, that you're co-owner on. Like, you're, you're up on the marquee, Kent. You, you did it. You, you, you put your big boy pants on, created some really cool stuff, um, partnered. You know, you have a great team of people. What, in, in a, a couple sentences or two, like, what can people expect from this brand? So the purpose behind this brand, um, I think, is this. If I could give you my elevator pitch, influencer-driven brands are normally shit. The, mm-hmm. Those marketers make a decision between, it, to exactly your point, innovating on a branding, marketing, packaging, sales channels context, right. innovating on a formula context. The way that Doug and I secured Julian's involvement was by saying that's a false equivalency. Yeah. That you can both have an influencer-driven brand, but have the precisely the same principles that Core and Merica are founded on, which is full transparency. We will never make a product that isn't fully transparent, fully disclosed. By the way, since 2000 motherfucking four, I will say for core, yeah. um, uh, it's the new trend now and everyone wants to claim it, but Doug's very first product. And that's when I was starting as a unpaid product ambassador for USP lab labs. It was like the paragon of non-disclosed mm-hmm. labels, obfuscating their ingredients. Doug was a huge proponent of full transparency from the beginning. Efficacious dosing, which has now become like a bullshit buzzword, Mm. but my approach for formulating, I look up the research, I find the serving size that's reflected in the research, and then we make a decision whether or not we can include the compound in that or a comparable serving size, and if we can't, we just don't include it. Right. Um, And then three, an interoperable product portfolio. So the purpose is non-redundant products, things that you can combine. I I don't want to reveal any more about the composition of our initial launch portfolio, other than the fact that it's entirely interoperable. You could mix all the product in one shake for a workout and they would all have distinct, non-redundant additive purposes. I think that that specific confluence of a large influencer and a principle-driven brand is in and of itself, and to your point, an innovation. I can't readily point out another brand that's driven by an influencer of comparable size to Julian that has, and you've seen them all, I've shown you all the formulas, that has um, formulas with those three principles behind them. Yeah, they're great, and like you mentioned, they are interchangeable. So when is the actual launch date so people understand when this is gonna be coming available? June 25th, and starting this week, every week for the next three weeks, we're going to be slow dripping um, the product name, the formula, what it does on our Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. And then June 25th is our direct-to-consumer launch. Awesome. And can consumers pre-order or is it just day one, flood the website, bye, bye, bye? Day one, flood the website. All right. Well, let's talk about Core real quick. Core is a brand that I said might not be the sexiest brand on the store shelf, but it's one of the sexiest brands in terms of formulations and effectiveness. The products are fucking awesome. They're great. I absolutely love them. one of my favorite brands. Uh, what can we expect from the brand? I, I know we already talked about the reformulation of, of Z, the sleep agent. Um, you guys, I, I do know you have some other stuff coming out. I don't want to say it unless you say it, um, but it's uh, anything that you want to drop or that you can drop at this point. Yeah. 
Yeah, so this month um, we're dropping our laxogenin product, our natural anabolic, which I think will be an excellent formula. Um, Mid-July, I think, we are targeting for uh, the reformulation and re-release of Fury X Platinum. Mm -hmm. I know everyone says this, and it just seems like blowing smoke up people's asses, but I haven't... How should I word this? I haven't seen these ingredients in this combination in a pre-workout on the market. All right. So I've seen these ingredients. I've seen some of them in this combination. I haven't seen these ingredients at these amounts in this combination. It will be an entirely unique formula. And I want to I want to say that the formula has been engineered. So you called them Google formulators, formulators, right? Some people. I think, yeah. uh, <laughs> I think one of the uh, worst ways to formulate a product is just to go, oh, well, this is what this fully disclosed brand put in. Let's just throw it together. Mm -hmm. Irrespective of the fact that sometimes these mechanisms of action uh, are contraindicated. Like someone said, for example, why didn't you put biopurine in harness? It substantially increases bioavailability. Sure. It substantially increases the bioavailability of a single compound curcumin mm -hmm. and other compounds which interact with precisely the same uh, iteration of the cytochrome enzyme. It may increase availability. It might completely block the hepatic transmission or absorption of some other ingredients, which can either dangerously lower or dangerously elevate um, plasma levels of an ingredient. That kind of shit, just, hey, blindly include this. Why don't you have 17 and a half grams of citrulline? Um, why don't you have enough tyrosine when, <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, that's not the approach for Fury X Platinum. The approach for Fury X Platinum is, which pathways do we think ought to be targeted for a pre-workout? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean this in just like, a, or I don't even mean this at all in, a marketing context. I mean this in what is actually going to contribute to athletic performance, yeah. peak power output, maximal oxygen consumption, total time to exhaust, exhaustion, relevant biometrics. Mm -hmm. So we identified the pathways first, then identified the ingredients second, and then did a fucking sanity check, which I think most formulators don't do. It's the good ones do. Are these ingredients contraindicated? Are these pathways redundant? Yes, take it out. No, put it in. Maybe change the amounts. And so for that reason, I think Fury X uh, Platinum is probably going to be our largest drop. We have Supremo's dropping on May 20th, next Monday, for America, which is a full-spectrum <laughs> full EAA product. Bring it full circle. <laughs> Fucking... Uh, acted like a total asshole on a, on a debate about EAAs. And then, no, you agreed there's a place for them. You agreed there's a place exactly. for them. So we have yeah. we have that coming out. I know that America Energy just dropped two new flavors that are coming out. You have the yeah. cream soda and cherry cola, which I've tried them, and they are phenomenal. Are they not mind-blowing? They're great. Uh, They're great. You, you, you guys kill it there. Any more flavors coming out from America Energy this year? Uh, no, I don't think so this okay. year. Then watch you guys drop one in two months. So yeah, that'll exactly. be exactly yeah. Also, that. America Energy is being launched in uh, – 800 food and drink GNC stores. Very cool. And America Labs is being launched in military locations. Um, America Energy performed, exceeded everyone's expectation hours and GNCs in their franchise locations. So that's why they picked it up in their food and drink. So that sort of um, 
that sort of step for a brand is large. I mm -hmm. think it's great for America. It's a massive proof of concept in terms of that brand-driven or, or coherent brand right. concept. Uh, and then for core, we got a few other things in the works just in terms of strategic direction of the company that I maybe I'll leave for surprises, but I think people will enjoy them over the next you know six months to a year. Very cool. I'm looking forward to, uh, obviously, Arms Race coming out. I love the formulas. I'm looking forward to... Free X Platinum, because Free X by itself is one of the best pre-workouts, too, uh, you know, on paper and, and in terms of effectiveness. So, Ken, we'll have to do this again. I mean, we could talk for fucking hours about <laughs> about stuff. But uh, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your knowledge and sharing your philosophy. For the first 15 minutes of this podcast, people probably have no fucking clue what you said. That's the God honest <laughs> truth. But uh, we'll, 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 we'll see if they, <laughs> if they can hang on. We, we get the layman's terms after the first 15 minutes. I swear we do. Your view to completion rate is going to be fucked. Like there's, there's going to be, it's going to start off like this, just precipitous nosedive, and then a fairly even plateau after the first. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna get hundreds of thousands of listeners to start, and and then all of a sudden like three. So, uh, appreciate you coming on, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, dude. All right, guys, that was Kent Engel, Chief Marketing Officer, Core Nutritionals, Chief Marketing Officer. Marketing Officer, America Energy, America Labs Nutrition Corners, and co-founder, co-owner of Arms Race Nutrition. It's an influencer-driven brand that actually has really good products. I've seen the labels of all of their products. They're going to be released over time at their Instagram. Make sure you check out those guys on IG and see the, some of the cool stuff that they're coming out with. But uh, really cool stuff. I like What I like about Kenton is uh, Kenton told me this one time, and I'll, I'll end on this. He and I've said this before on the podcast. He told me at the Arnold this year that he understands how important properly dosed, efficacious dosages are, and how how important good formulas are. Because him and his wife actually run a salon, a beauty salon, and their the cost of their cut and color is one hundred and fifty dollars, and the minimum wage in Alberta where he lives is fifteen dollars an hour. So he says he understands that it takes the person ten hours of their life to work to get that done, to get that service performed from his wife and, and from the beauty salon. And he said to me, he goes, I don't care if you make 15 bucks an hour or 25 bucks an hour. Somebody out there had to work 10 hours of their life. And if they're only making 15 bucks an hour, you treat them with the most respect you possibly can because that's 10 hours of their life that they invested for that cut and color. You treat them like a goddamn queen. And he takes that mindset and that, that mindset and that concept over to sports nutrition and formulas. He realizes if you're buying a pre-workout for 40 bucks or 50 bucks, that's a lot of money to people. And you're probably stacking it with a pump or whatever it might else be, but they work hard for their money. And I say this all the time, this is our line, that their supplements should work hard for them. And Kenton does a really good job of formulating products. If you've never tried anything from Core, um, I, they're one of my favorite brands. I think they have some really, really unique, awesome formulas that aren't like copycat formulas or cookie cutter formulas that you see typically out there. So check out corenutritionals.com. See what they have. We have reviews over at FI. We're going to have a bunch more reviews from FI coming out. Uh, just some really exciting stuff from the brand coming out over the summer. So thanks to Kenton. Thanks to the team over at Core for allowing us to grab their CMO for an hour of their time to get them here on episode 31. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Help us out. Help out that algorithm by writing a review. Subscribe to us on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Snapchat and Twitter. As always, we hope you are informed. We hope that you're able to live fit and whoop, hang loose.